Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part two of our small bowel and mesentery inflammatory disease. And we are talking about bowel obstruction before, and one of the things we look at is location of bowel and enhancement of bowel. If you look at this case, you see bowel, small bowel that is, in the lesser sac, and it shouldn't be there. You also know we gave a good bolus of contrast. Look how bright the aorta is, but look how poorly enhancing the small bowel is. And then when you go and you look at these images and you look at it interactively and we track downward, you can see that the small bowel is dilated in the lesser sac. That's an internal hernia. You see the bowel distally is enhancing very nicely, but as I come back up, look at the bowel in the lesser sac. It's simply not enhancing. And then if you go forward and you look at that same data set, and now I'm looking at it in the coronal view, and just let it scroll through. You can see very nicely the engorged mesentery, but you notice how poorly enhancing those bowel loops are, and the distal bowel enhances very nicely. That's an internal hernia. That's edema in the mesentery. And then when you look at it finally in the sagittal view, look how nicely as we again scroll through the data. And again, this makes the point about interactive review, not just static images or sliding, you very nicely see the bowel in the lesser sac, and this patient had ischemic bowel. And here it is again, the engorgement of the mesenteric vessels, the decreased enhancement, the dilated bowel, the compression displacement of the stomach, and again, beautifully seen coronal 3D volume rendering, and beautifully seen just simply in coronal view. Classic internal hernia, the patient goes to surgery, patient doesn't go to surgery quickly, this patient can die. Another example, dilated bowel, we follow it downward, there's a right inguinal hernia. Well, in this case, you can see that initially people thought perhaps it's just an inguinal hernia. But when you look carefully here, you see the bowel is enhancing. And then you look very carefully at that bowel loop. And then when you look at the coronal view, look how nicely you see the dilated bowel loops back and forth, back and forth. Then it goes right into that hernia, and voila, it's that hernia that's obstructing the bowel. It's a small hernia and usually it doesn't cause much problems, but here it's the cause of obstruction. This is a surgical emergency. And again, here it is with volume rendering, very nicely showing you that transition point and everything we look at are transition points. And again, the volume is easier to see in coronal view. In this case, you can see it also in the sagittal view very nicely. And the sagittal view, you also see a little bit of inflammation around the bowel loop, bowel obstruction. Now, when talking about bowel obstruction and transitions, a couple things I should mention also other entities. SMA syndrome, we talk about that with weight loss, anorexia nervosa, unexplained abdominal pain. We know that the angle of SMA to aorta is decreased. You get compression of the duodenum. You get compression of the renal vein, which gives you nutcracker syndrome. The distance to the aorta is decreased, but the angle is typically under 10 degrees. Beautiful example on the sagittal view. So sagittal views, particularly with MIP or volume rendering, work very nicely. Now, some patients are going to have decreased angles. Often I see that in older patients, sometimes in oncology patients, the issue when to call something SMA syndrome and not just simply decreased SMA angle is you need to have bowel distended. So here the patient presented with nausea and vomiting and was thought maybe to be an ulcer. 
you see the distended stomach, you see the distended duodenum, you follow the distended duodenum, and you notice as it crosses midline, the distance between the patient's SMA and the aorta is decreased. Classic for SMA syndrome. So again, SMA syndrome, narrow angle, narrow distance, but transition of bowel. It's obstructing bowel. That's what SMA syndrome is. And look at, look at the narrowing. Look at that angle between the aorta and the SMA. There is no way anything is going to pass there. Another example, big time distended duodenum. SMA angle is decreased. Here's a few more different views showing that very nicely as well. And when you look carefully at this next case, same thing. Look at the duodenum. Look how it's distended. And look at the transition point right where the SMA comes down. And here it is on the sagittal view as well as coronal view. Very, very classic for SMA obstruction. And when you look at these cases, they always look the same. Another example, dilated duodenum, transition point at the SMA, obstruction at the SMA, 3D views, volume rendering or MIP, beautiful example of the narrowing, the loss of the angle. These are the patients who will benefit from surgery typically. But again, simply seeing a narrow angle is just not going to make the diagnosis of SMA syndrome. You'll mention it, and sometimes I'll see it, but the bowel's not dilated, but I'll mention it, but I'm not going to call it SMA syndrome. Now, another thing to think about is median awkward ligament syndrome, and I always mention this because this is the celiac component. And here what happens is the median awkward ligament compresses the patient's celiac. You then have decreased flow, and sometimes the celiac's occluded. And then what happens is you have flow through the GDA to hepatic artery. And so the SMA GDA hepatic artery flow pattern is critical. And so if this patient would get a Whipple's procedure, we would sacrifice the GDA or get hepatic surgery, GDA is resected, you could see the disaster. There's no flow to the hepatic artery then, and the patient could infarct the liver. And here's just a nice example of that narrowing. So it's something to be aware of, and here's just a very nice set of pictures. And we've written articles about this, that S the CTA plays a major role in the diagnosis of median arcuate syndrome. And sometimes, again, that celiac is essentially occluded. Beautiful example here. You see the collaterals. You see the postsynodic dilatation. Sometimes the extensive collaterals that we see actually, particularly when it's not a good bolus, it makes the pancreatic head look large, and people sometimes call this a pancreatic mass, but it's really a normal pancreatic head with multiple collaterals present. It's not tumor invasion. And again, as I mentioned, it's important to recognize in several conditions, particularly when you're doing surgery. And again, Whipple's is the one that we think about the most. Now, a couple other things in small bowel. I gave you a talk before about uh, GI bleeding. But in terms of the small bowel bleeding, we talk about distal to ligament of trites, counts for 30% of GI bleeds. Mortality will vary. Angiodysplasia is the number one cause. Vascular dysplasias, tumors, and Meckel's are other possibilities. Articles like by Karen Horton have talked about the value of CT and GI bleeding. Articles by Steiner have often shown how it's a critical part also of interventional radiology because you don't want to do an angio on a patient who has a negative GI bleeding study with CT. 
and the fact CT is better than DSA for picking up uh, small bleeds. Now, in looking for bleeds, they're easy, or the cause of bleeds are easy to walk through. In this case, first glance, you look and you say, I see nothing. But maybe you see that high-density stuff in the patient's duodenum. And perhaps you appreciate it better in the coronal view, right there. But if you go to MIP, look how much better and look how much more extensive this case of angiodysplasia is, which results in bowel resection. MIP imaging is very critical in looking for sites of bleeding and causes very nicely shown here. And in this example, look at the upper image MIP, bottom example, simple coronal. If you look hard, you see some of the abnormality on the coronal view, which is so obvious on the MIP. So how we look at images will impact on our accuracy of diagnosis. Another example, patient with GI bleeding, you can see this bright dot in the root of the mesentery, that's an angiodysplasia that's actively bleeding. We talk about small bowel tumors, and we are commonly seeing now small gist tumors. Interesting, large gist tumors tend not to bleed. It's the small ones that are very vascular. The larger ones are relatively hypovascular. Beautiful example here. You could also consider a carcinoid tumor if the patient had renal cell carcinoma metastasis to bowel. But typically, these are these gist tumors very, very vascular. Finally, Meckel's diverticulum is difficult to detect on CT. This patient actually was being worked up, and you can see a camera in place there. You see the dilated bowel. The camera ended up showing nothing. But if you look carefully, what is this outpouching of the bowel? You see it on the coronal view especially nicely. It's really an outpouching. It's not the appendix. It's not a loop because it's not attached to anything. And you can see when you narrow the lumen, or narrow the window rather, it's very bright. Beautiful example of a Meckel's diverticulum. And here's a Meckel scan. Okay, so CT, Meckel's can be a very difficult, very tricky diagnosis. We think about Meckel's in pediatric patients with GI bleeding, but you gotta think about that in adults as well. Meckel's can cause bowel obstruction, it can cause GI bleeding, obviously. You have diverticulitis, and it can be a difficult diagnosis to distinguish from other possibilities. And since most of us forget about Meckel's, let me at least mention a few things. It's the most common congenital anomaly of the GI tract. It occurs in up to 2% of the population, occurs within 60 centimeters of the ileocecal valve and 6 centimeters in length. Up to 57% of these contain ectopic gastric mucosa, which is responsible for the symptoms and the GI bleeding. And detection by technesium-99 protectinate scan, uh, which is ac actively accumulated and secreted by mucoid cells of gastric mucosa, is positive in a significant number of these cases, but not always positive. So it's something to think about. It can be a very important diagnosis. If you don't think about that possibility, you're just simply going to miss it, and that indeed can be very problematic. So let's look at a few other things. When I mention about vessels, I always mention about ischemia, infarction on the arterial side or the venous side. Typically, it's going to be on the arterial side. We know the changes early on with ischemia could be simply mild bowel dilatation. Once you see mesenteric or portal venous air or intramural gas, you're dealing with significant ischemia, and you're really dealing with infarction and the need for surgery. 
We talk about causes of the ischemic bowel. Atherosclerotic disease is probably the most common. And here you very nicely on sagittal views see plaque in the SMA and celiac, but especially in the SMA, causing luminal narrowing, very nicely shown here. And sometimes you have embolic phenomena, a patient with endocarditis, nice example of proximal occlusion of the patient's SMA. You see the thrombus into the lumen of the aorta. You see it particularly nicely on the patient's sagittal view. And you see the extent of it on the MIP imaging. Just a beautiful example. Again, the vessel does not have a lot of plaque. You don't need to have plaque to have vessel occlusion. Now, other things I look at besides clot, I look at vessel caliber. This patient, look at the size of the SMA and celiac. Yes, the vessel is patent, but when you see vessels this small, I will say I'm worried about a low flow state. I'm worried about ischemia in an older patient. That becomes very, very important. Now, sometimes you see a case like this, and at first glance, you say there's no IV contrast. But we gave a good bolus. The bowel is dilated, but it's not enhancing to any degree. And if you look at the coronal view, you see what looks like potentially pneumatosis, this inflammation in the mesentery. And then when you look at the sagittal views, look at that occluded vessel. The patient has clot in the SMA. This was subsequently removed. Patient did fine, and there's the vessel a week later. This case is very important because look at the proximal aspect of the patient's SMA and celiac. There's no calcified plaque present. There's no calcified plaque in the vessels, yet there's ischemia present because there's occlusion of the vessels. And here's another example. The SMA looks perfect, but at about a couple centimeters in, it's occluded and the bowel is ischemic. So you want to be very careful. People tend to look at the axial views, and then they tend to study the proximal aspect of the SMA. You have to follow its, it in its entirety, and so it's critical to look at the sagittal views. Here you see the volume rendering, the occlusion of the vessel, and you see it on the sagittal view very nicely, the occlusion and the recanalization as well. Just a very nice example. Now sometimes it's a little more subtle. Here, look at the SMA, look at the SMV, and you follow it down, and you see the SMA looks like it's partially thrombosed. And sure enough, on the sagittal view, look at the occlusion in the SMA. So again, we always like to think about occlusion or stenosis of the SMA or celiac proximally. It can be far beyond the origin of the vessel, and the origin may look good. It does make the point you have to be careful to follow the SMA and the celiac and the branches in their entirety. If you give a cursory look, you're going to get you're going to miss things. Like this case. Okay, what about here? Well, again, thinking about the possibilities, I show this case of abdominal pain because the ER always wants non-contrast scans. People are telling us. Well, what do you see here? Not a whole lot. Abdominal pain, is there some stranding by the pancreas? Eh, maybe. But when I give IV contrast, the patient has a dissection of the SMA. And I follow the dissection downward, and I see it on the 3D mapping. So a point I want to reinforce is one of the reasons we always give uh, IV contrast, one of the reasons we like to distend the bowel with water is we want to see all the information. If you're doing things without IV contrast, you would have missed this case. And you would miss a lot of the early ischemias, 
and you would miss the cases with the thrombus in the vessel. Now, in this case, we talk about spontaneous dissection of the intimal with an intimal flap. It's interesting, there was um, a lot of discussion how to manage these kind of patients. They used to go to surgery, they used to go to stenting. Now, a more conservative approach is used. So, indeed, when you think about it, protocols are so important because if you're not giving IV contrast, in the ER setting, abdominal pain, if you think it's surely a stone, no IV contrast. But when you're evaluating bowel or that possibility, if you don't give IV contrast, you will miss things. You will miss things that can kill patients. You've got to fight with those ER docs and tell them what they can be missing. So concluding then, CTA is a study of choice in many cases of suspected GI pathology. When used correctly, it plays a major role in patient management and triage. And challenges often relate to less than optimal studies in non-dedicated cases. And what I'm trying to say there in very subtle terms is that if you do a crappy study, you're probably not going to make the answer. You're not going to figure out the answer. So it's not a good scenario. So I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me do this real quickly. I'll quiz you because in the Penn course, they needed quiz questions. Which of the following statements regarding CT of the GI tract is false? And the answer is A. You can't use positive contrast. And we've spoken about that in many articles, and here's one article, and you could go back and look at this in a few moments. Then another question I had, in median awkward ligament syndrome, the key vessel for adequate hepatic flow is the GDA, right? That connects the hepatic artery to the SMA. You don't want to cut the patient's GDA in these scenarios, why you have to do a bypass before you do a Whipple's procedure. And then I spoke about SMA syndrome. What statement is incorrect? The SMA angle is between 30 and 40 degrees. No, that's normal. It's under 25, and typically, in my experience, it's closer to 10. And a good article we wrote about that as well. Another question, what's the most common cause of bowel obstruction? And I mentioned to you before, all of the things listed here are indeed possibilities, but adhesions today is number one. And of course, the importance of making the early diagnosis with CT being the best study. And again, the causes of obstruction, adhesions are number one. And finally, number five, the most common complication of Meckel's diverticulum is thinking about it, thinking about it, GI bleeding, okay? Particularly in pediatric patients, it can be difficult to distinguish this from appendicitis at times, IBD, and often you will miss it. You need to think about it in order to make the diagnosis. And there have been several articles like this one by Patel, which talks about the importance of Meckel's diverticulum as one of the possibilities for right lower quadrant pain. So with that, that was part two, and that's part two of two, which means we'll be discussing a new topic next week. Have a great day. Bye.